Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How we doing? Everybody doing good? Hey, uh, this morning we are in part two of our GOAT series. Uh, if you were not here last week, you're like, why are we talking about goats, right? Uh, this is not a series about goats, like bah, goats. If you didn't know, GOAT is an acronym, and it stands for the greatest of all time. And so last week we had some impromptu polling about uh, who was the greatest basketball player of all time and some other stuff. We're going to do a little bit of that again today. So uh, I'm going to start with these by saying these are according to IMDb. I did not just pick these two movies, uh, but according to IMDb, the two greatest movies of all time are Shawshank Redemption and The Godfather, all right? According to IMDb, all right? So you got you don't got beef with me, you got beef with IMDb, all right? So, hey, if you were going to go with two, those two, raise your hand if you think Shawshank is better than The Godfather, Shawshank Redemption, all right? I'm going to wait till I get 100% participation, so everybody make sure to get your votes ready. Shawshank, all right? The Godfather, all right? And the third who didn't vote, all right? The third movie was The Dark Knight, all right? Is that what you're going with, The Dark Knight? All right, Batman, all right? Okay, hey, uh, now, according to IMDb, again, all right, the top two shows of all time. Uh, I'm not sure what these top two shows say about us as a society, but it's Breaking Bad and The Sopranos, all right? So uh, I'm your pastor. Who's going Breaking Bad? All right, yeah. And who's going Sopranos? Some of you plead the fifth, all right? That was probably a good choice right there, all right? Um, Now, I'm not sure what that says about us, that the top two shows are about a drug-dealing teacher and, like, the mafia, all right? But that's, here we are, right? Uh, We'll shift gears, all right? The greatest Disney movies of all time, Uh, again, per IMDb, don't come at me, all right? Pinocchio or Toy Story, all right? So who's going Pinocchio? Wow, not a one. Who's going Toy Story? Yeah, that's where my vote is. Toy Story is so good. Um, All right, and then we'll we'll get some sports one here. Uh, The greatest baseball player of all time. I didn't pick this. This is per ESPN. Babe Ruth and, and Willie Mays. All right, who's going Babe Ruth? All right, Willie Mays. All right, some of y'all, most of you guys want Babe Ruth. All right. Uh, here's the thing is that when you have these GOAT conversations, uh, it's very rare, it's very uncommon for there to be consensus, for everybody to have a strong majority uh, on one side of the conversation. People have strong opinions about these things. You can see people arguing about LeBron and MJ, about who's the best, all right? Uh, But what is wild is that if you were to ask most theologians, what is the greatest book of the Bible, there would be some consensus. They would say Romans. And then if you were to press in on that and say, okay, you said Romans is the greatest book in the Bible. Uh, What is the greatest chapter in the book of Romans? And they would say Romans 8. There's, again, some consensus there. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says, uh, this wonderful chapter is the cream of the cream of Holy Scripture. All right, so Romans, it is the goat. It is one of the most theologically rich books of the Bible. Uh, it was written by the Apostle Paul. He's writing to the believers who are in Rome. And here's the deal. He doesn't know them personally. And so he wants to be as clear as he can about salvation as he's writing this Uh, this letter to the believers in Rome. And so because he doesn't know them, he wants to make sure everything is clear. Romans is filled with so much power and inspiration. Uh, And that's really why last week we asked everyone in here to commit to read Romans 8 every day during this series, every day. It's 39 verses. I had somebody already tell me, all right, shout out to Robert. You're crushing it wherever you are. I can't see you. Uh, But hey, he said, I listened to it every day this week. 
And he goes, man, I can see why it is considered to be the, the GOAT chapter of Romans, right? Uh, you listen on the Bible app, it takes you about six minutes, it'll probably take half that if you read it. Uh, and I believe that as you do that, uh, that God actually, if you've been doing that, I believe God has already been working on your heart. But I also believe uh, he has even more to do. He wants to do even more today. So let's get our hearts ready uh, to continue to receive what God has for us. If you do me a favor, just put your arms out, your palms up, close your eyes, uh, take a deep breath. And remember that, that God is just as near as the air that you're breathing. God, today, would you guide us closer to you? Help our minds to put away the frustrations of this past week, uh, to put away the distractions of the coming week. We want to fully focus on you. We come empty with uh, nothing to offer but surrender. Fill us up as only you can. Holy Spirit, move in here today with power. We believe that in advance. Uh, and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And all God's people said, amen. All right, hey, we're going to hop into Romans 8. Uh, last week we covered a lot of ground. Today we're looking at four verses, and there is so much there. I'm going to read these four verses all at once, and then we're going to go back through and break them down. Uh, but if you see a word in yellow... Uh, you're going to say that, uh, and you're not going to whisper, you're going to say that loudly from your chair, all right? You got that? Can we do that? Give me a thumbs up if you're good. All right, I see some of y'all. All right, I'm, I need full participation, right? Uh, I'm going to point to it and just say it, all right? All right, loud and proud, right? So now there is no for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. Last verse. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Mm. Uh, there's a lot to unpack there, all right? Uh, and there's really one word I want to focus on from each of those verses. And we're going to start uh, in verse 1, and the word we're going to look at is condemnation. We're going to look at condemnation, freedom, sacrifice, and the Spirit. But in, in that first verse, says, so there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That word that's used for condemnation there, it could be uh, literally translated as punishment. There is no punishment for those who belong to Jesus. The moment you put your faith in Jesus, there is no condemnation, there is no punishment on you for your sins. And the reason there is no condemnation, it's, it's pretty simple. The punishment you deserved and the punishment I deserved, Jesus took that punishment. He took it. 
And so there's no condemnation for us because we belong to him. And that is such a rich gospel truth. No condemnation for those who belong in Jesus. But if we are honest, not many of us live lives like that. Our lives are riddled with condemnation, right? Uh, we condemn ourselves. At least I know I'm prone to do that sometimes. We let others punish us, and that should not be so. I think when we let condemnation in our lives, it creates a fear in us to perform. I know this is definitely guilty of me. Uh, we act as if we can only be free of punishment if we hit the standard, if we are perfect, if we, to be without any blemishes. And I, I can just tell you that that's not in the cards for any of us. None of us are going to be perfect. And then when we seek perfection to avoid condemnation, it's going to set you up for disappointment. Um, I can tell you, one of my biggest regrets from high school, uh, I love basketball, always have, um, but when I got to high school, I, I felt like I had to play perfect, like I had to have zero turnovers and shoot 100% from the field, um, and so I just felt I had this pressure that I had put on myself, nobody else was doing it, it was me, uh, and I felt like I could not make a mistake. And so instead of uh, trying to play the game, make the right decision, uh, I was just trying to keep myself from making mistakes. So I'm on offense, instead of attacking the person defending me, trying to get open or get somebody else open, what I do, I turn my back to the goal and kind of like just protection mode, right? I don't want to turn the ball over. I was so focused on playing defense while I'm playing offense, right? It's not how you play. When you get so focused on not making a mistake, it actually makes uh, more mistakes. It doesn't make things better, it makes things worse. You're so afraid of condemnation. Uh, I was so afraid of condemnation, I would draw every time I messed up. And every time I messed up, I just try to do less and less and less so that I don't make any more mistakes. I don't want that condemnation for myself. And I think there are so many Christians that live that way with their life. You are so focused on not doing the wrong thing that they miss doing the right thing. They miss doing the godly thing. It's because they think in their failures, you are going to get punished, that God's going to condemn you. And church, if you belong to Christ, there is no condemnation for you. Zero. Even when you mess up, we're going to. God's grace is greater. Uh, God doesn't punish you because Christ has already taken the punishment you deserved, past, present, and future. All your mistakes, all of your sins have been paid in full by Jesus on the cross. And no matter what your heart might tell you, what you might feel, God says you stand before him with zero condemnation, no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. And that frees you up from having to be perfect, from having to perform to avoid punishment. No condemnation. Now, I want to make, I want to take a moment here and kind of make a distinction because I think this is where people get confused. We, we confuse these two words. Uh, there's condemnation and there's conviction. Condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is a judgment on you, saying you are not good enough. Uh, conviction is calling you to more. Now, neither one of those, if we'll just be real, neither one of those feels great. There is a pain associated with condemnation, and there is a pain associated with conviction. Uh, but the purpose of the pain is completely different. 
Condemnation is to make you give up, to make you think less of yourself. Uh, when I think of the word condemnation, uh, the first thing I think of, right, I'm excited for this next election cycle, right? You guys ready for that? It's going to be a good one. No. Hey, but when I think of condemnations, I think about politicians, right? They just get dirt on the other people. They look at everything that person has done, and they condemn them. And why, why do they condemn, condemn the other side of the aisle? Because when it's election season, uh, they either want to make that person drop out for some sort of a scandal, or they want to make them lose votes. The person who's condemning does it so they, the condemner, looks better than the person they are condemning. It's not about the person who's, uh, it's not about the other person. It's all about making themselves look better because look at them. They, I've condemned them. Condemnation is for the benefit of the condemner. Conviction, that's the opposite of condemnation. Conviction is for the benefit of the person being convicted. Conviction, I'm going to unpack that. That's when you feel remorse. You feel remorse for something that you've done. Some might call this a conscience. I'd say this is the Holy Spirit. Conviction is a good thing. I don't know if you ever thought about it like that. Uh, conviction does not feel desirable in the moment, but the purpose of that pain is for you to be shaped into the person God is calling you to be. Conviction's purpose isn't for you to feel bad. It's actually for you to grow from it. I heard one pastor, he said it this way, Satan condemns us, uh, to make us wrong, God convicts us to make us strong. See, the enemy, he wants you to live in condemnation, to think that you are wrong. But God, God convicts us. He convicts you so you'll be strong. Conviction is good. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, conviction is a good thing. If your child does something wrong, let's create a hypothetical situation. Definitely has never happened at my house, okay? Uh, let's say you have a child and they slap their younger sibling. Like, face shot, right? They smack, I mean, they smack them real hard, right? And so um, the younger sibling that just got slapped, they are uh, hysterical, crying, like five fingers on their face, like it's, it's red on there, it's not a good deal. You'd be happy if your older child is convicted, right? Like they realize they've done something wrong. There is a, like, their stomach is like, that, that, I'm gonna get in so much trouble, I shouldn't have done that, why did I do that? That conviction, rightly used, is going to keep him, uh, keep that child from smacking their sibling again, right? That conviction, that the feeling that I've done something wrong, that's, that's a good thing because they did do something wrong. Right? That conviction has a purpose. I want you to take that same situation, but let's flip it. The older sibling smacks the younger one and shows zero signs of remorse. Parents, what are you doing? You're trying to make that kid feel bad, right? Like you did something wrong. You should not just get away with it. You'd be a little concerned if they just smacked their sibling and that sibling's crying. They're like, what? What's the big deal? Right? You'd be concerned about that. Because when someone does, any of us do something wrong, it's natural for there to be a level of regret or remorse to feel bad. Because if they're isn't, if there is not a conviction about sin, you've got a serious problem. Everybody's going to feel conviction, but I want to be clear, conviction is not condemnation, and there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There is conviction. Conviction is for your benefit. It's to shape you into the person God is calling you to be. Next time you're feeling down about your actions, I think this is what happens is uh, people get conviction 
and they think God is condemning them. Why would I feel this way? No, 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 no. He hasn't left you to yourself. He doesn't condemn you, but the Spirit of God will convict you. And the purpose is not to put you down. The purpose is to build you up so that you can learn. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. There will be conviction, okay? Let's go to verse two. Let's keep moving here. And because you belong to him, because you belong to Jesus, the one who, when we're in him, there is no condemnation, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. This verse is talking about the freedom we have as followers of Jesus. The life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin. You and I, we have freedom because of the spirit of God living in you. He gives you power over sin. You have power over sin because God is with you. That is true freedom. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer tied down to your fleshly desires. You can say no. You have the power to say no to sin, to the wrong things. And freedom, is Christ. freedom in Christ is a theme you'll see all throughout Scripture. But yet, that's not something many people outside of the church associate with following Jesus. Right? Many people, they think of the church, they think of Jesus, and they think of rules and restrictions, a list of things not to do. And they see that not as freedom. They see that as bondage, right? And so how can uh, the Bible be proclaiming freedom in Christ, and yet the world, they see following Jesus as bondage? Like one, the Bible's like, you got freedom in Christ, and the world's like, no, I got bondage. I got a list of rules. I have restrictions. I think the difference relies in the definition of freedom. One side saying freedom is doing whatever feels good. And Jesus said, freedom is found in following me. And along with following him comes with living our lives in a way that honor him. I heard someone say this uh, just in passing. I thought it was really good. Um, and I think this kind of shows the conflict there. I heard someone say, a budget is freedom. A budget is freedom. Who puts those things together right away? I know that was not, when it said that, my ears parked up. I'm like, hmm, a budget is freedom. Uh, in a budget, do you have restrictions? Yes. But if you follow that budget, you can make sure you're going to have money at the end of the month, right? You make sure you don't overspend on silly things, that all your bills are paid. If you budget some fun money, you have the freedom to do whatever you want with the fun money, right? A budget is freedom. Now, there's others here, and you're saying, hey, a budget, that sounds a little restrictive. It's feeling a little oppressive, Right? Uh, what happens if you spend all your money on frivolous things and your account is overdrawn and then the rent is due? Does that sound like freedom to anybody? No, right, right. That sounds more like bondage to me. A budget might not sound fun, but it actually sets you up to make sure you know where your money is going. It's going where you want it to go. What some people might see as restrictive actually frees them up to do the things that matter. Uh, let me give you another example. This one's kind of a little different. I have a friend, and before he and his wife were together, uh, his wife was in a very controlling uh, relationship, uh, just an unhealthy relationship, um, and just a bad deal. Her, her previous uh, boyfriend would say things like this, very controlling. Uh, no, you can't eat that. You'll get fat. Uh, no fast food until you lose some weight. 
gentlemen, things to never say to your wife, right? This is, this is not good. If he was just a very critical person and honestly th- say things that just, that kind of make you mad. They're so rude, they're inappropriate, and he was very, very controlling and just a demeaning individual. Uh, and so, um, hey, you want no fast food till you lose, you know, the weight, whatever it is. And so they break it off, good deal. Not a good dude, right? It's a good thing they broke up. And then she started dating uh, her now husband, a friend of mine. And one time they were trying to figure out what to go eat. Uh, and my friend, he's like, how about McDonald's, right? How about McDonald's? It rocked her world that her boyfriend said, let's go eat at McDonald's. McDonald's, y'all. We're talking about McDonald's, okay? Uh, Obviously not the poster child for clean eating. Uh, And she realized that she had freedom, and that freedom was found in a loving boyfriend. It was so much different than this controlling guy before. Now, if I'm being honest with you, I just know this guy, and he was saying Mickey D's because it was a cheap date, all right? That's what he was thinking. Uh, But the point I want to make, one person gave criticism so they could control and use fear to get uh, not what the other person wanted, but to get what they wanted. He cared about his girl. He cared more about how his girlfriend, sorry, this guy, he cared more about how his girlfriend looked than how she felt and how he made her feel. The other, he, he loved his girlfriend, his now spouse, and he offered her freedom. What do you want? How about this? True freedom is found only in love. That's the freedom we find in Christ. He loves us. Because he loves us, any conviction or correction we get from God isn't for his benefit. It's also for our benefit. The freedom we have in Christ is true freedom. He loves us no matter what. Any direction we get from Jesus, any conviction, it's it's to, for how to live. It's for our flourishing here on this earth. It's so we can live full and satisfying life. It isn't to be controlled. It's to live a blessed life. The Spirit of God has freed us from the power of sin. That real freedom, freedom like that, is found in Jesus alone. Found in Jesus alone. Let's go to verse 3. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He gave Jesus as a sacrifice for our sins. In the Old Testament, that's, that's the part of the Bible before Jesus, right, before he was born, uh, the law of Moses, which is what it's talking about there at the beginning of that verse, that is how people stayed right with God, how they had right standing with him. It was a bunch of laws and regulations about how to stay clean and, and what sacrifices to make so you could have right standing with God. It's a system, and it served its purpose, because, uh, but because our sinful nature, it was going to be replaced with a new covenant. Like it served its purpose, but it's going to be replaced with a new covenant. And that new covenant is Jesus. And there's some, some misconceptions about this. Many people think that Jesus abolished the law, and that's just not true. Jesus came and he fulfilled the law. 
Jesus lived a life that satisfied the law fully. He, he got the 100, 10 out of 10, no bad remarks on his life. He got the perfect score. Jesus hit the law. He fulfilled it. And yet, it says, God sent his own son in a body like we have. And he declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins. See, we could not fulfill the law. We couldn't do it. So Jesus did. But because we live less than perfect lives, there was a punishment that had to be paid for our sins. Romans talks about that earlier. The wages of sin is death. The punishment for our sin is death. Not only did Jesus ace the test for us, he got the punishment we deserved for bombing it. And that's why there is no condemnation for those who belong to him. He took that condemnation we deserved when he died on the cross. I want you to look at the last five words of that verse. A sacrifice for our sins. A sacrifice. See, there had to be a sacrifice. There, there is a debt, a punishment for sin that has to be paid. There's no avoiding it. And Jesus paid that price for the sins of the world. And because of his sacrifice, we live in victory. We have life. I want you to think about it this way. Uh, the law of sin and death, right, our sinful nature, it's like gravity. It inherently pulls you down, right? It doesn't matter how high you jump, you're coming back down. That's a sin nature that we all have, right? And we're born with it. You don't have to teach a kid how to do wrong. They just figure it out all on their own. Isn't that amazing? But the law of the spirit, it overrides gravity. It's like climbing uh, aboard an airplane. The law of gravity still exists, but in an airplane, you transcend the law of gravity. You rise above it. The spirit's law transcends the law of sin so that sin no longer controls the agenda. That's the freedom we have in Christ. Sin is no longer in charge. We can rise above it because Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice. He gave himself as a sacrifice on the cross for us. Here's what it says in verse 4. He did this. Talk about his sacrifice on the cross. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature but instead follow the spirit when we belong to Jesus we no longer follow our sinful nature we follow the spirit of God our question for you church is are you led by the spirit of God it transcends our sinful nature or do you let sin take control? We have power to overcome sin through Jesus. He has given us that freedom. But for all too many of us, it's like we've, we've accepted Jesus. And, and to go back to the, the airplane illustration, all right, we've got the plane ticket. We can transcend the laws of gravity, right? But we settle for standing on the ground because we feel it might be a little intimidating to hop into the plane. 
might be a little intimidating to say, God, I want to go where you want me to go. I want you to go places where I am not in control. That's a little scary. That's a little intimidating. You have the power to say no to sin when you have Jesus. But sometimes we don't walk in that power. We need to follow the Spirit of God. Kind of give you a, a rough measuring stick uh, test just to sniff out um, are you walking by yourself? Am I walking, that is, am I walking by in my sinful nature? It's a default for all of us. It's a test. Am I walking in my sinful nature or am I walking in the freedom and power of the Holy Spirit? Just one simple question I want you to answer. This is just for you to yourself. When? When was the last time you felt conviction, not condemnation. If you belong to Jesus, condemnation is not yours. When was the last time you felt conviction? That there is something in your life, there's something in my life that needs to change. I think sometimes you think the, the longer I've been following Jesus, the longer I've been going at this, the less I need to change. And I just, my experience, the longer I've been walking with Jesus, the greater awe and need for the cross should become. That I'm in awe of the price he's paid for me. And that I'm realizing my need was even greater than I realized. And as my awe and need of the cross grows, I grow. Many people think their need for the cross diminishes over time, that I got this. No, 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 no. It's all faith. In actuality, the more you dive into your relationship with Jesus, the more you'll realize all the imperfections in your life. You'll see things that you didn't even know were a problem before you had Jesus. Hear this. The greater our sin, the greater awareness of our sin, the greater the cross becomes. This side of heaven, we are never going to be perfect. That doesn't mean we should stop growing as followers of Jesus. That means when we make mistakes, we have areas where we feel like God is calling us to more, there is going to be conviction. Conviction isn't a bad thing, it's a good thing. It's God calling us to more. So I ask you again, when was the last time you felt conviction? If it's been a while, I, I, I want to just gently have you ponder this question. Have you settled where you're at as a follower of Jesus? Are you content to just not grow anymore? Uh, Jesus follower, if you haven't felt conviction, uh, you've become calloused to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't condemn you, but he will convict you so you can grow. And following Jesus like that, that's where true freedom is found.